Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. Monday morning feels so bad. The Easy Beats formed in 1964 and immediately began to take Australia by storm. But here in the U.S., we only ever got one single from them, the extremely unique Friday on my mind. Then, as quickly as they formed, the Easy Beats quietly broke up. This week, we're joined by Katie Cole, who lets us know why, despite being a one-hit wonder in the U.S., the band holds great cultural importance in her home country of Australia. Royalties forever, and it makes me wonder: Is it just a wonder, or is it 
So, Katie, this is crazy. I fancy myself a music enthusiast, and I got to admit right off the bat here, I had never heard of the Easy Beats, which you, being from Australia, probably think that's insane because apparently the Easy Beats are to Australia like David Hasselhoff is to Germany, it seems like, because it seems like they're one of the most popular Australian bands of all time. Am I wrong about that? Well, it's up there. It's one of those, it's a reference band. So they were really one of the first bands, if not the first band, and it may be the first band to basically cross the pond and have international success. So they are definitely a household name, but it's more of that, um, there's a legacy that comes with them. So it's, you know, I mean, obviously they're not the Beatles, they're not the Stones, they're not the Beach Boys, but it was of the same era and to come from Australia being such a small population for such a big, big country, it was a very big deal. They opened doors and it seems like they, they led the way yeah. for a lot of other artists. Oh, yeah. And talking about this song, first and foremost, this song is wild. Yeah. This song's crazy. I, you, you're probably used to hear, you've heard it forever and it's a normal part of your life, probably hearing it on the radio and everything. But I heard this song for the first time this week in preparation for this episode. And I was like, wow, this song's insane. It is not your run of the mill bubblegum, you know, early, you know, you think of early Beatles songs and they're very bubblegum pop you know, major. Exactly. This song's insane. Well, ex exactly. And that's part of the reason why they were so big, because they were doing things that other bands just weren't doing. And like the way that the, the guitarists were working together, they were just, they were creating a thing that wasn't really established yet. And until you sort of dig into their history and go, oh, oh, oh that's where they went. Oh, that's why. And that's, they really were just super, super talented. And to me, they definitely were ahead of the curve in every respect, regardless of being from Australia or not. I got to say that they're pretty punk rock for being a pre-punk rock band. This song alone. First of all, those verses, the minor key, the dissonant leads, the backup vocals of those verses with the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do backup vocals. Oh my God, it's insane. And I, when I first heard it, it, it threw me for a loop that this was a giant song. I mean, I had read that this was by somebody. Who was it? Oh, the Australasian Performing Rights Association. They named this song we're talking about today the best Australian song of all time. Yeah. So w when I mm -hmm. saw that, I was like, wow. We're really going to get into it with this band. Also on that list that jumped out at me, because I know that one day we will have to cover them as well. But at number three was uh, Midnight Oil with Beds Are oh. Burning. So good. I swore to Mike because I do a lot of online concerts because... <laughs> that's just that's what that's what you got right now. That's you're yeah, running yeah. with it. But like I usually do themed like online concerts on a website called Stage It, and I put a poll together for like what's my next concert going to be? Is it going to be this or is it going to be this? And my two choices were um, my choice completely like no request, just I pick the songs, and my other choice was like all Australian. And so my next show coming up is going to be all Australian, and you can bet that that Minotto song is going to be on it. And Hell yeah! Yeah, there's a lot of great Australian. Australian rock, but it's, as you probably started to work out after digging into this band, 
a lot of it stemmed from the Easy Beats crossing over and really establishing Australia as a place for um, rock and roll. Absolutely. Hey, before we get more into the Easy Beats, I got to ask you, you're from Melbourne, right? Correct. Is there any sort of Melbourne versus Sydney rivalry when it comes to, because I'm looking at, the, I, I have a big list of bands and artists that are from Melbourne, and then I have a bunch of bands that are from Sydney. I'll be honest with you, I probably lean Melbourne between the two. Well, honestly, like it's hard because when you grow up in Australia, it's like, you know, uh, Melbourne versus Sydney or Australia versus New Zealand. And then you move out of the country and then it's like, I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Just, yeah, over here, we don't even know Australia, New Zealand are different places. So, it, well, like. <laughs> honestly, if a, if, a, if a great song, band, actor or movie comes out of New Zealand, we're like, we'll just, we'll just claim them as we're like, it's like, we'll just encompass them like America does with Canada. You know, you just, yeah. it just becomes part of, you know, part of the bigger picture, the Borg, the Borg of right. music and entertainment. Yeah. For the listeners, real quick, Melbourne, you guys had Crowded House. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Air Supply, The Living End, Jet, Men at Work, Body Jar, and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Those were the notable bands that I was like, damn, Melbourne has a lot of good artists. Sydney had the Easy Beats, but we'll get into that a little little bit further about whether, I I guess Sydney can claim the Easy Beats, but they also have ACDC, In Excess, Midnight Oil, The Vines, The Divinals, and Friends Rom. Uh, so I don't know. I would lean Melbourne. I'm a, I'm on Team Melbourne if we're if we're picking sides. But I get well, it. I'm from Melbourne, so it's like I'm I'm always gonna sort of side with you know with my people. I think it's yeah. a more I think it's a weirdly more cultural city. But honestly, like I'm now at that point where I don't even care who came from where. I'm just like let's just all hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're psyched. How long have you been living in the United States? Yeah, it'll be ten years now. Because I put okay. out I put out my first American EP and. 2011 and like and if you're counting 2020 as a year (laughs) yeah no not really (laughs) yeah it's 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 only been nine then yeah exactly yeah so any yeah so i get what you're saying anybody that's coming out of australia you can just claim them there's no melbourne versus sydney anymore no talking about the easy beats now they're from sydney of course but nobody in the band was actually born in australia no, got, well, like, yeah. I mean, I always tell people, like, the origin of all rock and roll is not from Australia because almost everybody that was born from rock and roll is either English, mostly Scottish, but as you as you sort of looked into it too, it's like you had someone that was Dutch, some English people, and a couple of Scots. And, I mean, that's yeah. a really good representation of Australia just in general sense. Like, everyone is from everywhere, but everyone's aware of it. So there isn't, right. it's just like... Everyone's got weird accents and whatever, and you're just like, Ugh. Yeah. yeah. And grant, granted, they all came here as children, and their story is awesome. They lived together in the Villawood Migrant Hostel. <laughs> nice. where the, all, all their families lived, and that's where they were young kids, and they started a band. That's a pretty cool story. That I, I watched some videos of them going back to, like the place they grew up and you know of course the hostel wasn't there anymore you know kind of an underdog story i like that yeah and i gotta ask you were you a real little kid when you first heard the easy beats was this a mm-hmm. ho- this was a household song? it's a household know? song and like it's one of those songs that was used in like a ton of commercials but i'm positive it was used as like a song for like one of the news network not the news but like one of the actual ch- major channel network songs as well like it was just there 
it was always there and like that as soon as you heard that sort of octave riff you you like you knew it, it was just somebody playing a bit of that or covering a bit of that just from the opening of the song it was definitely something it was just there I grew up and it was just there it wasn't even a question I think it's also one of those things where in the same vein as something we talked about in the very beginning of the podcast when we did uh, I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. Yeah. I feel like if you have a song and a day is in the song title, people are going to jump on that as some type of like, oh, it's Friday. You know, I, I could see like radio stations just being like, oh, it's Friday. Here's Friday always on my mind. Like, yeah. Ex- no, but it was definitely one of those songs like going into the weekend and yeah it was it was just there the, it was it was just part of the and you know it's like when you when you're in australia and because like the 60s 70s and you know part of the 80s were really like a a big boom for rock and roll but a big boom for rock and roll coming out of australia like you just didn't really differentiate between what was australian and what was international because australian the australian music scene from like i grew up in an extremely musical household my mum was like I don't even know how to explain the amount of music that she played to me and my sister growing up. But like we were, you know, we were raised on listening to Zeppelin and Woodstock and just everything, like literally everything. So there was always music, but like you were always fed like this sort of equal components of English music and American music. And then there was a good chunk of Australian music in those sort of decades coming through. Obviously not so much. I mean, it, it's still there, but it's not the it's not encouraged and supported the way it was back then. There's just it, it just isn't because you're not seeing those the amount of bands crossing over the way that the way that they did back then. But the the talent was extreme. Like again, knowing the population of Australia versus America to have like bands like yeah Midnight Oil and of course ACDC, which we'll, we'll obviously get into with this story as well. But the level of musicianship coming out of Australia was just exceptional and I don't know like it always sort of surprised me certain bands that didn't quite make it over or they would go over to the US and have these big showcases you'd hear all these stories of like these these other bands that were in the 80s that didn't quite make it but you know yet in excess you know crossed you know just you hear all these stories and it's like it always fascinates me like why this band why this song why this time and there's never an answer to it but Friday in my mind was the one that got the easy bits over that line for Australia and obviously the rest of the world started to go well you know aside from this band and what what other songs they had but they started to look at the rest of Australia and going well what else do you have like it became like not just this far off distant land with strange kangaroos and people it became like a like oh these this is a really talented band what else you got it almost makes you feel like of course it's the number one song like the number one song from australia like like it's the same thing as like it's never a shock to hear you know smells like teen spirit listed as the number one most important song of the 90s because it's almost yeah. like you don't even have a 90s without yeah. it really like, yeah and you that's, know, like, that's that, that's a really great equivalency to say that because you wouldn't really have sort of this rock music you know whether you call it pop or rock or whatever you want to call it um you just wouldn't have that scene without this band being sort of the first to take everyone for that same ride. Did you know the names of the guys in this band? Like people know the names of the Beatles and, and the Rolling Stones and, and things like, did you know little Stevie? Did you know who little Stevie was? No, I knew Steve, I knew Stevie right because he went on to have other hits, which I don't think crossed over to America as well. Like he had Evie part one, two and three, which it was, it was yeah. huge in Australia as I well. I saw stuff about that. Yeah. He was a name. I knew that 
the, the, there were two guys in the band like I didn't like I knew that one of them was young and someone was something but like I didn't even make that connection until it was like didn't isn't that also young and then did my homework on obviously the not only the songwriting partnership but their whole production sort of partnership as well and was just blown away with like this band not only being the one to sort of cross the line internationally but <laughs> to establish one of the biggest parts of rock history sort of on the planet yeah. <laughs> like to be involved with that is just absolute insanity and i wasn't familiar with all of their names no what not a at all. front man this guy was i watched so many live videos of them and this guy it's huge personality oh my, for and they call him little stevie i yeah. i couldn't get an exact answer on how little he was <laughs> and i know compared to the one really big guy who i think was Harry Vonda, which was, he was an extremely tall, yeah. blonde Dutch man. <laughs> and also yeah. a sick guitarist, like insanely sick yeah. guitarist. But this guy as a lead singer was wild. He had so many awesome moves. It reminded me, honestly, it's funny. It kind of reminded me, I don't know if you've ever seen them live when they were a band, Katie, but the band at the drive-in, this dude was doing the spins and the convulsing and just crazy jumping off of things and at the same time singing perfectly and on top of yeah. that he's a total hunk i, I said this guy yeah. this guy literally is like probably like better looking than anybody in the beatles or the stones i i seriously i was looking at yeah. him like damn that guy's good looking too well that's the thing about rock stars though like he, he's a good looking guy but like with rock stars with what they do and the way they perform and that whatever swagger and whatnot they bring to the table it all convinces you that they're extremely attractive. Yeah. But when you just look at a picture of Mick Jagger or Roger Daltrey or someone like that, yeah, you're just like, right. what? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger's like the perfect example. Like, if Mick Jagger didn't have the stage presence that he had, there's no way in hell that man would ever be, like, a, a heartthrob. No, it was, it was really amazing. Like, and it was an amazing time for music. Obviously, there were so many bands that were really on the same wavelength with it whether they knew it or not obviously that you know that was the era where the brit invasion was really taking over and obviously you can hear direct influences in if you've listened to multiple songs by the easy beats i don't yes. know if you have but you can hear like you know to me well you can hear like the yardbirds and the kinks and obviously the beatles but you can hear those just where they're going with it with their musicality and like to me it's really impressive to, to have a band like that coming from like when you're from Australia, it's like, oh, Australia, <laughs> because we're all really down to earth and we're, right. you know, we never think in terms of like, we compete with everyone and we are the best. Like, I mean, I moved to America to, to realize that Americans are really sort of brought up to think that they can be present and they can be the best because you can. In America, it's, it's this incredible sort of life that you can build something out of nothing and literally can be exposed to hundreds of millions of people to sell a product or whatever it is that you're doing. But in Australia, it's just like, you know, good on you, just go get a job and be a nice bloke. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, that's the mentality that you sort of brought up with, to not be too big or too full of yourself or whatever. Right. Um, so to hear like the story of where this band came from and just the multiple legacies that they brought with them. It was just it, like when I started digging into it, it was like, it wasn't just like, oh, here's this one song. And then it was like, oh, this other song. Oh, and that other song. And then how many songs, if there were any songs of theirs that you recognize, but like the fact that they are listed and considered to be like a one hit wonder band. And then you look into their, into their catalog and it's like, there's, you know, 
good times. Like there's just all these songs and you're like, oh man, you know, that's nuts. You know, here in the United States, we do think the world revolves around us. So therefore we consider this a one hit wonder, even though <laughs> they're not at all in Australia, but we, we don't care about that. We yeah. only care because honestly, I understand why I didn't know this song. It peaked at only like number 16 in the United States. And we're talking in like 1966. Yeah. Yeah, no. So it, it makes sense that I didn't know it. I could have heard it along the way, but... Let's take a quick second to pause because this kind of made me laugh. One of the things that I always look into when we're doing the research is obviously the year that this song was released, what were the best-selling singles of that entire year? Like, what were the oh, songs that, that dominated the radio? So here's what was dominating the radio in America in 1966 when this song came out. All right. Uh, Frank Sinatra's Strangers in the Night, and then we had The Beatles' Day Tripper, followed by The Beatles' Yellow Submarine, <laughs> followed by The Beatles' Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> I knew that's where this was yeah. going. <laughs> followed by The Beach Boys' Good Vibrations. Nice. And The Beatles' Paperback Riders. <laughs> so, right, right, exactly. So, so that makes sense. I mean, they had some stiff competition from The Beatles, and uh, you can't mess with The Beatles. And just in the same vein as The Beatles, The Easy Beats, their entire catalog, their entire career is over the span of only four years. Yeah. Like, they had... They started their band, they rose to fame, and they broke up all in a matter of four years. Do you realize how fast that is? <laughs> that is so... I mean, the Beatles is fast, too. The Beatles is eight years. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not too different. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Well, they did. They happened They happened that fast, and they, they will never be that fast ever again. <laughs> this was probably the biggest thing to make me appreciate how unique the Easy Beats sound is. And, and as Katie said, like how forward thinking it is it was it was almost ahead of its time in a lot of ways is like when you look at the songs that were on the chart at the time that it hit 16 like groovin by the young rascals was the number one song in america but like number five on the list was respect by aretha franklin and i think if you played me those two songs together i would never guess they were on the charts at the same time they seem like two completely different decades almost no i know that's right. nuts you got to keep that motown stuff in mind too because man so many so many hits there's stiff competition in the 60s so it makes sense that maybe it would only rise to number 16. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious 
and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Chris, you know, while we're talking about the easy beats, I was thinking of something else that's pretty easy. What's that? Men's hygiene. Oh, good call, man. Once again, One Hit Thunder is being sponsored by Manscaped, who have made men's grooming an easy and simple process. Exactly. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. In fact, Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. That's a perfect grade point average, Matt. (laughs) Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CRAZYTOWN at manscaped.com. Yep, just butterfly over to their site, use the code CRAZYTOWN, that will let them know that we sent you, and you'll get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRAZYTOWN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. That's a great deal at manscaped.com. Use the code CRAZYTOWN. I got a 4.0. I use it. I think it's amazing. You can unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now that we're done discussing the ease of taking care of that pubic hair, let's get back to the easy beats. Yeah, that's a good call. One more thing I want to say just about like the structure of this song that I think is so unique and so cool is that they intentionally, I talked earlier about the way those the verses are that that minor key with that kind of a dissonant lead and the weird backup vocals that they were intentionally because the song is about the work week and like you know the grind and you know having to work for the man and things like that they wanted the verses to make you feel that way and once i heard them talk about that and read about it i was like wow that's so cool and then you get that release when it's friday when you're at the chorus you get that like (laughs) joyful release and i that's so clever and unique and cool and and man i really like this song it's it's Uh, such a. I was really impressed like looking into like the songwriting because i always want to know i've i was that person that grew up i always wanted to know who wrote what and why and when and and what else they did and who else they wrote with or where it went. So for me, like looking into this and going, like I knew, as, as I said, I knew that Stevie Wright had his own career, but to hear that like the first few songs that they recorded, they had a couple of hits in Australia and then started working with some people and obviously got them over to the UK to record with um, like one of the Kinks producers who'd also worked with a bunch of other bands. And they put out one song that I think they, the song or the song that they currently had at that time wasn't doing too well. And they were like, uh, what else you got? And they had the title for, we've got this song Friday in my mind. And like the producer was like, yup. Because it's like the other songs that they'd written, like weren't doing so well because it was, um, I think it was George Young and Stevie Wright writing the songs at that time. And they were dominantly writing all the songs. And that's when Harry was switched in to write the songs with with George instead, with George Young. So then it became Young and Vander doing, or Vander and Young, however, which way we're around, you want to go. But it became they became the dominant writing team. And I thought that was really interesting to find out that that switch had just happened. And that sort of was the explosion of their career. And obviously the explosion of them becoming this writing and production team that just never stopped. Right. Hey, we didn't even get into George Young yet. 
for anybody who's listening, George Young, the older brother of ACDC's Malcolm and Angus Young, (laughs) which is insane. He also produced some of their earlier work. What a musical family. I believe it was their first eight records. First eight records? <laughs> wow. So ACDC's career was a little little bit longer than the Easy Beats career. Again, I, like I always tell people, like, you know, Australian, like all the best rock comes from Australia. I'm like, well, they're all Scottish people in Australia. It's it's like, it's nuts. And even like, obviously, Colin Hay from Men at Work, ACDC. We've got a bunch of other Scots as well and other bands. But like to have these three brothers, George being the older one and obviously being Malcolm and what's his face that become like, oh, this is just my little brother's band. (laughs) It's just nuts. When you're thinking about ACDC and the length of that band, you have to factor in that like that band didn't even really truly break into the United States until their second vocalist. Like, I think they, it was Highway to Hell, like that record broke them. And then obviously I think it was the record after that that Brian Johnson joined. But just to hear that like this really, like the origin of rock and roll really stemmed from this, like in a big way, like one of the big, like one of the biggest bands in rock and roll is arguably ACDC. And you really can't talk about rock and roll without mentioning them at all. Like it's, to me, it's, the, probably the biggest band in rock and roll and to to think that that would I mean it may it may have happened may this may that if let's play the if game but to know that it all sort of came from the you know the record label saying no nah, we want you know these songs aren't good enough you know you come you know and it was only because you know Harry Vander had just his English had gotten so much better because he was a Dutch guy it was like oh, well you write the songs and it was just be becoming and you can hear it obviously now like these two guitarists doing these counterparts like the rhythm and then the counterpart and playing these big sort of roles and you can see how that heavily influenced ACDC doing the thing how could you not take influence from that listening to these I mean that's that's really part of the ACDC thing having these block guitars but also these parts within them when it's relevant obviously Easy Beats is way more sort of Beatlesque and it's you know in its origin but you can hear it like you listen to it and you're like oh wow that's that's the origin story for acdc you know undeniably right but isn't that kind of the interest i find that so interesting in music in general is that like the most important bands were influenced by by a lesser known band in so many cases Uh and like like the examples that i always think of is like Jan and Dean, there wouldn't be a Beach Boys if there wasn't a Jan and Dean or even the Beatles who all said that Harry Nielsen was the best band that they've ever listened to. Like, like there's all these dudes who are not household names, but like they are, you know, we always say that saying, or your favorite band's favorite band. Like That's it, yeah. And like, I I mean, honestly, like digging, like I picked this song and this band for for a reason because they're Australian, but because I knew there was a bigger story there. And like, it took me to sort of dig into it to be like, oh, my, holy crap. Like, all of those things, like, just, like, I knew that they wrote good times, but, like, I forgot until I was watching Lost Boys and it's like you could hear, like, there's an in excess cover of good times in, in that, you know, I'm gonna have a good time tonight, you know. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that song. <laughs> and then, then it was like, oh, nice. okay, well, they wrote that. But speaking of, speaking of Lost Boys, to go down the rabbit hole just for two seconds, did you guys watch the Tina Turner documentary recently? No, I want to, though. The Tina Turner one is worth watching. I just went down the rap. I'm going down the Lost Boys rabbit hole just for five seconds because it's hilarious to me. But, like, that's obviously that song was in that movie, but the, you, know, there's a, you know how there's that weird saxophone guy playing on the boardwork in that, yes. in that one scene? 
That saxophone okay. player plays in Tina Turner's band because I was watching the documentary and I was just like, I was <laughs> like, that's that guy from that movie in that thing. Like, I just put all these pieces, like none of these dots connect, but I'm making them and they're forming some weird picture in my brain. So <laughs> while we're in the weird tangent of the yeah, Lost Boys, let's uh, go. one of the... One of the other podcasts that I produce is an all horror movie podcast, and the awesome. last the last convention that we were at, that saxophone guy was a guest of honor at this convention and did a free concert. Yes, and I promise you, I did not see that man with a shirt for three straight I- days. He sat at his booth in just some leather pants and his ponytail and oiled up shirtless, <laughs> signing autographs. Like, I was like, this dude is living the gimmick. I love it. Living the dream. It's it's amazing when like when we realize that those people exist. I I just always remember. I remember (laughs) names and faces, and they mean like I have this catalog in my brain of all these things that I know, and I never get to put them together because my brain just remembers the weirdest stuff. But yes, they well, congratulations on having that wonderful moment. I mean, this song for a song that I was like. Like when I heard it, I kind of recognized it probably from just like riding in my parents' car, listening to like the oldies and classic rock station. But the amount of big name artists that have covered this song mm-hmm. was in- impressive to me. We had David Bowie did it. Peter Frampton did it. Ben Lee did it. Blue Oyster Colt. Me first in the Gimme Gimmies. Bruce Springsteen and Squeeze have all done covers of this song. Like that's wow. crazy. That's a, that, I watched Springsteen play it live. It was like 2014 when he played in Sydney, and it was awesome because he sang it. He sang it real tough. It was good. And uh, and the whole crowd sang every word, and I was like, damn, the, those people had to be so psyched. Best, it's the best way to win over a crowd. Play one of their local songs, and you, you got them. You got them. You well, got apparently right the, the David Bowie... The David Bowie cover is the only one that the Easy Beats actually enjoyed. Wow. Really upsetting to think that the Easy Beats weren't into the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's cover, because I'm sure it was delightful. But that's proof of what you were saying about, like, your your favorite band's favorite band. Like, all these people going, oh, but that's cool. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Right. As a bassist, I I got to talk about the bassist of the Easy Beats real quick. His name is Dick Diamond, which totally sounds like a name from Boogie Nights (laughs) or something, but that's not actually his name. He's a Dutch man and his full name is Dingeman Adrian Henry Vandersleese, <laughs> which is absolutely incredible name. He's one of he's one of the two Dutch guys in the band yep. and he was very shy. Like all the other guys were like rocking out. I mean, especially little Stevie. By the way, quick side note, there's only one little Stevie. We, we got the little Stevie over here and it's it's not Bruce Springsteen's guitarist. And it's not this little Stevie. It's our little Stevie Wonder. But you're all the way across the world. We'll we'll let that slide. Uh, Anyway, back to Dick Diamond. He was very shy and really reserved on stage. He basically just stood there and played his bass. But his moment to shine was when in this song, Come and See Her, he he had one vocal where the music stopped and he went, like I can't even I can't remember what the the melody of it was, but it was basically like "Come and see her, <laughs> come and see her." That was his moment to shine. Uh, he was raised by Jehovah's Witnesses who did not approve of the fact that people looked up to his son. They did not like that. So that may have uh, attributed to his, you know, reserved nature. After the band was done, he just lived it up being Dick Diamond. 
He did. He, did, he just. He was a, in a legendary Australian band, and I don't think he did anything else musically after that. He just lived his best Dick Diamond life after that, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> That's a good little piece of history, right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to go down a little bit of a sad, upsetting road for a second here? We can do that. What about little Stevie. Do you know? Do you know what happened to little Stevie by any chance, Katie? I know he. I know he passed a few years ago. I don't know what happened. So after the band had broken up, developed a heroin addiction in 1976. During he was in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that. a psychiatrist administered a highly controversial treatment called deep sleep therapy, which was supposed to treat drug addiction through mm -hmm. a through a combination of drug-induced coma and electroconvulsive therapy. And because of this, Stevie suffered brain damage and like lifelong after effects. I saw interviews with him as an old man. And you, you could tell the scandal was exposed and the doctor, Harry Bailey, committed suicide after that. Stevie did live until 2015. He died of pneumonia in 2015 at age 68. But I guess after this deep sleep therapy, Stevie was not the same. And, uh, you know, it's pretty sad. I mean, that was only, you know five or six years after we're looking at this fresh-faced, handsome, crazy front man. Yeah. Well, it's sad. I mean, that's obviously devastating to hear that I didn't know about that. I knew that he went into um, drug addiction and alcohol abuse because a lot of musicians do, but like reading as well about uh, Young and Vanda, they that they had debts to pay off from the band and just continued going back to the UK to tour <laughs> to pay off their record label debts because... Obviously, a lot of money had been spent. Like everybody knows, you live the dream, you live the dream until it all has to be paid back <laughs> at some right, point. Right. So they just continued touring for, you know, whatever it was, four or five years till they went back to Australia. And that's when they opened up their um, their production studio, went back to their original producer that, they, that they'd worked with, Ted Albert, and started their thing. But like... It could have easily gone horrible for them too. I, re I really think that it's it's like you get given this these big shots in life as a musician and all that, and then it's just like, and it's over, and go away now. <laughs> like that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of how it is for a lot of rock stars. And I think it's obviously it, it didn't it didn't work out for Stevie Wright. Obviously he had obviously that all of those tragedies happened to him, but was amazing to hear the strange recovery story from the you know the two production team members that they managed to get out and it's so i mean it's i can't imagine what it's like to go over to a big country or a big city have success and then come back and be like well <laughs> like what do you do now like what are you supposed to do you've had this success and fame and whatnot but the fact that they got out of it, paid off their debt, and started making records for their little brother's band. <laughs> right. I, I mean, the, the the George Young and Harry Vanda part of the story that's is the happy inspiring. Ending. And that's the happy part where I, I watched a little mini documentary about them. And those two, I mean, they looked great. Yeah. <laughs> they were in their studio looking great, happy. Like, they had, they're hit makers. So... You know, so it's it doesn't it's not all a sad story. And despite Stevie's rough patch, he did he did live a long time after that. You know, I I, I have to think that he had you know some quality of life. He he was he wasn't like completely out of it. I just think that yeah, it, it's sad. It was a lot was taken from him. Yeah. That's clear. Right. Coming away from this, I gotta say. I'm an Easy Beats fan now. You did it, Katie. You made me an Easy Beats fan. I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna think of you every time now when <laughs> I hear the Easy Beats. You, you opened my eyes to a band. A lot of times, 
there's only been a few times on this show where I didn't know the song. I actually didn't know the Boomtown Rats song, and I was like, ah, oh, that song's okay. Had a cool story behind it. But this one, I needed to know about this band. This is I think this so. Is really cool. Well, you can't, it's like once you know a piece of rock history or whatever, you can't unknow it. And once you make all those connections, it's like, you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> like, I, right, I, right. I mean, I felt ridiculous from being Australian, not knowing this huge connection to ACDC, like, that's my people. I should know this. I should have been born and raised, and that should have been taught in school. The reason Australia is great is because <laughs> <laughs> Crocodile, <Yeah>. Crocodile <laughs> Dundee and the Israelis. I will add to that, and, and this is my, a nice segue. Another reason Australia is great, even though you've been here for 10 years, is Katie Cole. And I want to talk about your career and what you have going on, because you have an impressive resume. First of all, it's the elephant in the room. You play in Smashing Pumpkins, which is pretty badass. And how did that first happen? I don't know. Tell us all about it. I want to know all about it. Craigslist? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. We had a mutual connection. My my producer, Howard Willing, is a longtime collaborator of the Pumpkins and had worked on Adore and Machina and those records. He knew about me as an artist and asked, basically it started as a me opening up a show for Billy Corgan and then it became the following year after that, which was 2015, do I want to open up this sort of acoustic electro tour? And then then it was, would you want to open up the show but also play some bass during the, the, the show too? And I'm like, yep. And then they extended onto that playing the tour the year after that where Jimmy Chamberlain came back into the picture and James Eha came back for some shows too. I've told this story quite a few times before, but I was playing bass on stage and watching this sort of reformation of this piece of rock history, I could see it. Like I could see the look in the audience's eyes and I could see what was happening on stage. And I'm like, this is really good because I really hadn't played all played together in a long time. It just kept growing from there where the Pumpkins made another record with um, Rick Rubin and we did an arena tour and I got to play sold out Madison Square Garden and Wembley and all these huge, huge, huge places. And it's just continued on from there. We did festivals in 2019 and I did some opening shows for Billy Corgan in Europe. And like I've been running my own career for obviously a long time tour and touring and putting out EPs and records. And I mean, my career started in Los Angeles when I first lived there. I'm in Nashville now singing and um, opening up shows for Glenn Campbell. And I sang on um, one of his records. And I I mean, I've, I've just been doing this bit of everything but having these amazing opportunities come my way and just sort of jumping on board of whatever I can do um just basically saying yes to everything that I could that was you know good that's absolutely what I was going to say when I look at your resume like as a songwriter you've written for Gloria Gaynor yeah so you've written dance music you sang on Dean Martin on the the Christmas Mm -hmm. on a a Christmas song and Cheap Trick Mm mm-hmm is that right? Well, well I damn Glenn Campbell all all over the spectrum is basically what I'm getting at, and smashing yeah. pumpkins like <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, I've been really lucky. Like I've learned so much from saying yes to things that I'm not sure I can handle, and come I just step into it and just sort of let go of the fear, um, and just sort of go for it because you don't have a choice. Like if you say yes to something, you are doing it. You're gonna you yeah. you are there. It's you just go and do it. Do the thing. And you worry about it afterwards. There's no time for stress in front of tens of thousands of people or whatever it is. You just go do a thing. 
whether it's opening Absolutely. up a show in front of a, an audience that is not your audience at all. Like I've I've managed to win over so many incredible Smashing Pumpkins fans during the like the 2016 tour. I did crowdfunding and then put out an EP during the 2018 tour. So like I've had these weird I've had these weird sort of parallel sort of events and I'm I'm actually crowdfunding at the moment. I just launched a brand new um crowdfunder on Kickstarter that's doing really really well. Like I'm absolutely blown away by the fans and just they're just jumping in and just I'm just seeing so much love so early and I'm just blown away. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this EP too having watched the video and I, I've you know started following you on Instagram and just the covers that you've been posting, the cover of Blackbird specifically. Everyone who's listening, definitely go. The the link to the Kickstarter campaign is in the show notes for this episode. Go and donate Yay. to Katie. Just a delightful guest, obviously, but also just a, a very cool, easy to talk to person. <laughs> it's because she's Australian. because she she doesn't think she's <laughs> she doesn't think she's great. She is great. Well, she, she is great, but she doesn't now think you, she's great. Now you know that's literally yeah. how that's how we are. I always tell people like can't get it out of us. We're just gonna be like this forever. Like we're just we just don't get I don't know. Right. We just don't get weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, before we go, we, we almost forgot to do this, but I think it's going to be unanimous. We have to decide if the Easy Beats brought the one-hit thunder or if it was a one-hit blunder. And I don't know. Is anybody going to say blunder? I don't think that that's nope. going to happen no. here, right? No. Nah. This, is, this is definitely a, a three-way thunder. Yep. It's thunder. Absolutely. Like, there's literally a lightning bolt through ACDC, which they helped create. So it's yes. like, there is definitely thunder there. Definitely thunder. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of the Geekscape Network. This week's guest, Katie Cole, has a Kickstarter for her new EP. Be sure to donate using the link in the episode description. Underneath me, you're hearing Maybe I'm Wrong off the Punchline album Just Say Yes. Visit punchline.com for merch and more updates. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit WeKnowPodcasting.com for how Chris and I can help make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at OneHitThunderPodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!